Welcome to Resilience Road, a podcast where we talk about overcoming obstacles in leadership and marketing. I'm Patrick Gilbert. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Adventure Media Group. On this episode today, we have our CEO of Adventure Media, Isaac Rodansky, joined by Jess Larson of Greystoke Networks. Isaac, I'm going to hand it over to you to introduce our guest for today. That's an honor to, to have the opportunity to introduce our guest. But Tyler, you've done uh, a lot of interesting things in your a lot of interesting things in your career, from film to photography to marketing. Um, so instead of me listing all of those accolades, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself um, and what you'd like our viewers and listeners to know about you the most? Yeah, I know. Thank you, Isaac and Jess. Super, super happy to be here and excited for the the conversation. You know, I'm I'm the chief marketing officer at a company called Dragonfly Energy today. But as you alluded to, I have had a really interesting career. I actually began my career in the film industry. My my dream coming out of high school was to be a film director and direct movies, produce movies, do everything around that. Um, so I was in the film industry for over 15 years. And for 12 years of that, I owned a video production company and we did everything from Emmy winning documentaries to narrative feature films. We did music videos for bands, you know, such as Whitesnake, who everybody, everybody knows. And then, of course, the, the corporate world, too. So um, it was a great adventure where I met a lot of really interesting people and told a lot of really interesting stories. And about a year and a half ago, one of my clients I had worked with for six or seven years we're in the process of becoming a public company and we're just on this this rocket ship and uh, i had the honor of them making an offer to me to acquire my company and bring me on board to lead the marketing efforts there so you know i never thought i'd get out of the uh you know creative game the film game but it was an exciting new challenge that you know i just i i couldn't turn down so that's interesting so you were running your born's production um, and you were working and, and sort of doing videos or being hired by Dragonfly. And they're like, let's just buy the whole company and you'll come be our CMO. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was funny. That's a, huge, that's a huge transition. Oh, it's crazy. And like I said, I mean, I figured I'd be 80 years old still directing movies. <laughs> so I, I really never, yeah. I never expected it. But, you know, Dragonfly Energy was, was a really cool client of mine. I, I first met them when they were still in their garages building batteries and they're like, oh, you know, we're trying to get, you know, some seed funding. You know, we make this battery product. We have some cool, you know, manufacturing processes. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. We did like a Kickstarter video and these little tiny things. And then all of a sudden they did get their first round of funding. And then all of a sudden they were making all these batteries. And then, you know, COVID hit and here they had this quality product and um, everybody decided they wanted to, you know, live off the grid. And the company went from, you know, 40 employees to 140 employees in less than a year. And now we're almost at at 200. It got publicly listed. So it was just kind of like, whoa, this has been really cool to help build this brand. Because I got to be a part of the marketing through those six or seven years, everything from traveling around the country, meeting different customers and different influencers, you know, showcasing these products. And it was like, I can't see getting out of like, you know, I get to do so many cool things. But what if I got to put all this energy into one thing? Then what Then what could I do? And here was, once again, just this perfect opportunity um, to put all my energy into one thing and see how I can make a much bigger impact than I could on just you know my media production company. What if I could really truly, and it, it sounds super cliche, but change the world. And with our products, there's actually an opportunity to, to do that. And you know, I'm I'm still young, so you know, at 80 years old, if I want to get back into making movies, I I'll still have time too. <laughs> so, 
the I want to talk about lithium-ion batteries in the relationship with your creativity. You're you were a storyteller, right? Like you had you telling stories, making movies, and now it's like, okay, how does that get applied to batteries? And even let's say extrapolate further from that, far from what you said, change the world. But tell me how storytelling as a filmmaker synthesized into selling lithium-ion batteries and how those batteries might change the world. Because that's that sounds like a an unlikely but also a fascinating trajectory. Yeah, I mean, I I love where you're going with this because stories are everything. And from the time I was a little kid, I always loved telling stories. And it wasn't until I kind of randomly took a class in high school, a video class, and I realized, oh, this is how you tell stories. Here's this medium. It's so visual. Um, but then it kind of came full circle for me as I started to work with clients and realized that whether you're marketing, whether you're trying to find investors, whether you're trying to sell something, it's all about the story. And so that's where this company was really interesting to, to me and, and Dragonfly Energy's story for the future, to answer your question of how, it's, how it can actually change the world is we're a hugely popular brand of batteries today through our Battleborn Batteries brand. But we have over 45 patents um, including some that have our CEO is a battery scientist by, by trade. He's a, he's a genius. And he and his um, R&D team have developed a process um, using a dry deposition method to create a completely non-flammable battery cell. And the reason that's such a big deal is because right now the grid is stressed. There is so much energy demand. And even more so, as we put more EVs on the road, people go home and they plug it into the wall and they get their power from the grid. So it's putting even more demand. So as we try to electrify, as we try to do more good, we're actually not causing more harm, but putting more demand and we have to find a way to build that up. And so you look to renewable energy, right? If we need more energy, let's not go to fossil fuels. Let's go to renewable energy. The problem and the hurdle around that is renewable energy is intermittent. So the wind's not always blowing the sun's not always shining. So you're not fully harnessing that. To fully harness that, you need a reliable and safe energy storage solution. So batteries. And that way we can scale renewable energy and not have to just turn to fossil fuels, which we know we can do, do quickly. So by having a non-flammable battery that's energy dense and cost effective will allow widespread adoptability for a completely, you know, smart grid across the country. So grid storage, distributed storage in houses and office buildings and manufacturing warehouses. But in order to get truly adopted, that has to be safe. So our batteries are really safe today. Um, but as everybody knows, lithium is still is still flammable. And even if it's not the battery itself that's causing that fire, if it does catch fire, it can be difficult to put out. So that's why we for us, the future of battery technology not only is incredible technology, um, but can make that level of an impact too. Who else is doing this? Are there, is there anyone else doing this now? Or, or like, would you consider any companies as, as chief competition? That like there's a sort of a race to this form of, not, of inflam or non-flammable lithium-ion batteries? I would say there's, so when we first started telling this story, um, we refer to it as a solid state battery because that's what that's what it is. The liquid electrolyte is the flammable part of a battery. So you remove that, you're non-flammable. And there's a lot more science we can get into beyond that. What happened over the last few years is that a ton of competition did come in. 
but it's with technology that one hasn't been proven. And what they're doing with their solid state batteries is they're doing a hybrid model. So there's still some sense of gel or some sense of liquid within those batteries. So they're not completely non-flammable. So they were able to get the marketing buzzword of solid state, but it's technology that actually hasn't been proven yet. Where with ours, not only have we been developing this technology for over 10 years, 45 plus patents behind it, but we've actually got it in the lab right now. And we've already hit incredible benchmarks with it. We've, we've done over a thousand cycles and counting, um, you know, with this technology. Um, so it's, it's ready, it's ready to go. We're in the process of, of building out a pilot line and actually taking this, you know, to actual products and, and to market. So there's competition, but I, I feel strongly that we have the best and most unique solution out there because of that non non flammability while still maintaining performance. Tyler, I think that's really interesting. And I'm curious, like how you set your priorities as the CMO coming into this position where there are so many different stories to tell, because on the one hand, like there's this big spectrum where like you have, you're trying to tell Dragonfly's story relative to your direct competitors. So for people that are familiar with your direct competitors and then others that are more familiar with the hybrid competitors, and that's very like bottom funnel niche. And then somewhere in the middle is like you telling this story about how as the world becomes more electrified, it actually increases the overall demand for this type of solution. And that's something I really had never thought of before. And I find that fascinating. And then at the very top of the funnel here, it's like at some point you kind of have to be advocating for clean energy and electric vehicles and that whole movement. So there's like a lot of different places where you might want to be putting your marketing messaging. How do you, how do you figure that out for Dragonfly? How do you create a plan and, and be able to not spread yourself too thin, but maximize the impact that you can make with your marketing? No, it's a, it's a great question and something I deal with um, every day. And I would say I don't sleep much is the, is the first part of the, the answer. But we are spread all over the place because we do have you know, this now and future messaging of Dragonfly Energy and the technology we've created. But we also still need to support what makes us unique is the Battleborn Batteries brand that I mentioned before. It's revenue generating today. So not only are we a technology company, but we actually have revenue coming in today. So as we, you know, do very extensive R&D, which as everybody knows, is not inexpensive by, by any means, we need to maintain our ambitious growth um, you know, that, that, that we're after. So I have to go after kind of that off grid, um, freedom adventure lifestyle and sell our current products to them today on the battleborn side and find creative ways to cut through the noise on that side. Cause you have cheap competitors over, over there too, cheap imports while we have a, you know, quality product that's, you know, designed and assembled, you know, 20 feet from my, my office here in, here in the U S. Um, but on the bigger messaging side of it, it's cutting through the noise. You know, marketing in 2023 is so much different than even, you know, 10, 15 years ago when I first got, you know, into the, the media, you know, content side of things. There's so many tools, there's so many opportunities for people to create and tell their own stories and make their own product. But that also means the market gets flooded. So for us, that means we have to position our brand as the best because we believe we're the best. So everything we do has to be of the highest quality. Um, and we also have to position ourselves as the expert. And that's probably my overall answer to this for the Dragonfly Energy side, for the technology, is prove to the world that our tech technology does 
what it says it will. And that's through thought leadership. Um, that's through creative opportunities um, to position us as an ex as an expert. I've mentioned our CEO, Dennis Ferris, before. Um, I really work hard to get a lot of opportunities to put him in front of people. Um, you know, he, he knows his stuff and he brings a lot of that validity to our, our message because he's been around this for so, for so long. So making sure I get him on stage, you know, at grid conferences, you know, he's done a TEDx talk, um, really interesting about, you know, how the electrification movement can actually, you know, hurt us if we don't do all, all these other things. So finding those opportunities to show to people, Hey, we're not just talking, like we are actually walking the walk. We do actually have have this and yeah, it's just cutting through the noise. So, I mean, just, just going back to this transition to, to becoming a CMO, um, did you, did you have any formal training or education in management or leadership? Um, cause it's interesting to go from running your own company, a sort of scrappy, uh, you know, it's like sort of full pill chaos. Now you're part of this enterprise, um, and you're a C-suite executive. So I'm interested to know, like, what are some of the obstacles you faced? Maybe some of the self-doubt, if there was any. And I'm not insinuating there was, but if there was. Um, and what that that transition or period of time looked like from, a, from an obstacle struggles sort of perspective. Yeah, I think sometimes I feel like I made a deal with the devil <laughs> uh, to try to get in this position. I'm really fortunate and it is really um, rare. So no, I don't, I don't have formal education. And, you know, even on the video production side of things, I didn't have formal education there either. So my, my career has been really interesting in that, that way. So when I was in high school, I did really, really well. And I was interested in schools like MIT and, and Stanford. And I was often top of my, my class. So I had, I had the opportunities there, but once I found, once again, a way to tell stories and I knew, no, I want to make movies. I want to get into the film industry once I started researching it, I realized that, you know, a diploma in that industry didn't matter. And I've always been an impatient guy. And so I wanted to, you know, make it as fast as I could. So, um, you know, I, I, as soon as I graduated high school, I picked up my things and I went down to LA and I just trial by fire, you know, kind of fake it till you make it. And there, there is a lot of anxiety around that. There is a lot of even like, you know, back when I was 18 on, on film sets with, you know, Julia Roberts or um, Olivia Newton-John, like you're, you're sitting there, you kind of like pinch yourself and you're like, oh my God, I hope nobody realizes how underqualified I am. But I think it was through those experiences that you realize over time, if you believe in yourself and you just do it, things work out, you know, work hard, find a way, always looking for creative solutions and never taking good as enough. And that's, I think, why I had a rise to the top is, um, I've always had a really good relationship with, with people. I care about I care about relationships and I care about the product I'm I'm making for them. So I think having, you know, Dragonfly Energy as a client, even though it seemed very unnatural to hire somebody such as myself with coming, even though I, I owned my own business and I got to learn, you know, how to manage people, how to run books, how to how to budget and then worked with a whole ton of other clients on how to how to work within their world and how they operated. So I got that kind of school of hard knocks, but in a very, in a very strange way. And I was fortunate enough that, you know, the founders of Dragonfly Energy believed in that, that skill set, you know, to make the jump. And I think that's part of why I, I didn't hesitate to do it, even though I never thought I'd get out of the, 
the game because it was like, well, if these guys believe in me, you know, who knows when somebody else will again. But you know what? I believe in myself, too. And I take it as a challenge every day. So I do doubt myself. You know, I do come in sometimes like, you know, especially right now, like economic times are hard for premium products. Right. And we do have a lot of competitors. So you do doubt yourself sometimes. But, you know, I think it's just important to always remind ourselves that, like, if we push hard enough, we always put our best foot forward and always find a way to just, you know, do the best product possible. Um, you know, the rest will will work itself will work will work itself out. So that's just how I've approached it. And luckily people have, you know, believed in me. You know, I love that answer. It makes me think um I was rewatching that Steve Jobs clip last week when he says, you know, life changes when you find out that everything in the world was invented by somebody who isn't any smarter than you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um but let's give the audience a little bit of yeah, sense but of that's, scale. that's easy. That's easy when you're Steve Jobs to say that. But I would find out that everything was invented by people much smarter than me. Well, hey, I'm at a company um, full of like scientists and like PhDs. And here I am as like, <laughs> you know, the video guy. And it's like, well, I hope they don't notice. <laughs> um, well, let's give people a sense of scale. Um, you know, I've heard some big numbers tossed around. What are the latest numbers you guys have shared as far as like valuation or revenue or any of those kind of things? Do, do you have any of those on the top of your head? I do. Yeah, absolutely. So we went public uh, in October of, of last year, which one was incredible. Cause I actually got to go to New York and help, help ring the bell. So that was incredible. So we are listed on, on NASDAQ, uh, publicly under DFLI. Um, we did, I can't remember exactly. It was either 85 or 87 million in, in revenue last year. Um, and we are, and we are continuing to grow. We're nearly at, at 200 employees and continue to look to, to new verticals to expand that business, you know, as we look to our, our future technologies, which once again, we're not even scratching the surface because right now all our revenue today is from that Battleborn Batteries brand from, you know, these current products, but we haven't even touched yet these non-flammable battery cells. And that process is also chemistry agnostic. So we can develop cells for other applications as well. So we're really a comprehensive lithium company you know, in terms of, you know, where we can go from there. So there's, there's strong projections available. If you go to our website, you can read the, the numbers. I'm, I'm the marketing guy. So sometimes I, I exaggerate. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, I'd love to hear your thoughts of like, obviously there's scale, like you're on a movie set with Julia Roberts and there's problems that come up on movie sets, but you know, it's not your movie yet. So those problems aren't necessarily like the buck stops at you, right? And then you are having your own shop and you're making videos and commercials and music videos and feature like movies with actors from the X from the X Files and stuff like this, right? And the problems are yours. And then you switch and, and now you're dealing with problems, you know, a kind of company is doing 80 plus million in revenue or, or was at the time <laughs> public, right? Yeah. Um can you can you give us a sense of maybe something that's similar and something that's different when it comes to overcoming obstacles when you start adding many extra decimal points on the numbers? <laughs> Well, I'll start before the decimal points. I'll start with how personal you take it. So when I ran my own video production company and you care as much about it as, as I did and you want it to be successful, it all falls on your shoulders. So you take everything incredibly personal, right? Every little mistake, every project, every client we get, every client we lose, um, that all is, is really personal. And, and, it, and it goes through your employees. So you're trying to find people 
that buy-in and I going from a world like the film industry where you're, you're going off people's passion much more than money, right? And then you go into the corporate world and people are worried about, well, benefits, do I have to work overtime? And like the, the rules change. So when I went to, you know, I don't, I'm not running my own company now. I'm part of a bigger thing. I came in thinking, you know what? That's actually might even be less pressure because now all of a sudden I'm not in this alone. Now all of a sudden I've got all these other resources, all these other people, you know, up top. Um, but nothing's as easy as you, as you think it is, right? So now I almost feel, um, maybe it doesn't feel as personal, but it feels as just as big, if not a bigger challenge because you do pinch yourself sometimes when you're talking, you know, deals in the millions, you know, that's so much different than what I, I dealt before. But now it's really important to us because most of our, our employees are on a stock plan. So our, our employees, you know, have a, have a piece of this company. So if we're successful or not affects a lot more than just, you know, me, the CEO, the CFO, like it's affecting hundreds of hundreds of people and hundreds of, of families just from the success of the company standpoint, let not not even talking about what the what the products do, and that's a whole other other ball game. So, I do. I just like I said before. Sometimes you just got to take a breath and just believe in yourself that you are doing everything in your power to make that successful. And I keep going back to it. It's just never taking good as enough, right? It's like okay, this is working, but if we, you know, you can't rest on your laurels, like. Okay, we got it. We got to be ahead of the next thing, ahead of the next thing, and always kind of looking around while still looking forward. Well, that's exciting. I just looked up the market cap. I think as of right this second, we're uh, May thirtieth, twenty twenty three. It's like one hundred and seventeen million. And so, taking a breath and being like, hey, even though you're dealing with hundred plus million dollar numbers, right? I think that's great advice, Patrick. What kind of questions does that bring up for you? So I'm curious about um, the scope of your marketing team how many direct reports you specifically have and what are some of the, the philosophies or frameworks that you use to kind of put all this in motion? Sure. And it's been interesting for me. You know, when I came into Dragonfly Energy, we were very much transitioning out of the startup phase, you know, so the marketing department was made up of just a few people, a lot of people without marketing experience. So I really had to lay a lot of the foundation, you know, for the marketing company to, you know, we're kind of trying to keep up on the treadmill a little bit, right? As it's going faster and faster. So when I first came in, I really wanted to, you know, rebuild that foundation and then build a strong strategy moving moving forward. So our marketing team is built up of just under just under 10 people. And we take, and of course we use a lot of outside vendors for a number of our different things as as well. Um, but I really wanted to make a content and data-driven marketing department. You know, content for me obviously comes from my my background, but it's something that can uh, differentiate us from a lot of our competitors because we are the American company, because we are the product that we don't just import and stick a label on. We're actually, you know, building these here in, in the factory here in Reno, Nevada. Um, and with the future technologies, we want to put a face to the company. You know, we want to we want to show people loving, loving what we make. And that just builds authenticity. And I think audiences have gotten so much smarter to that. Um, but it's something that a lot of our competitors can't do easily where we're churning out things, all, you know, all the time. So, you know, I have a video editor and animation guy on, on staff, you know, we have copywriters on staff. And so we have, you know, uh, you know, 
photographers and videographers on staff so we can continually tell those those stories at the same time just making content isn't enough anymore you know especially as algorithms change on you know facebook and instagram and even you know in the you know sem world you're constantly having to find unique strategies to make sure you can actually drive eyeballs you know to your content and then to the content you're contracting because we also work with a number of uh, influencers or brand ambassadors um, and then they tell the story too so it's really trying to figure out you know this catch-all of of marketing touch points you know that we can capture our audience with one to kind of get them to to look at us but then another to say here's why you should pick our product over over the others it's really interesting Tyler you made this um video I think it was 2015 called the girl I know we're changing tracks here. Um, shot, shot on a Sony A7, right? It was shot, produced, written, and directed by you. Yes. Um, was that for? Was that? I want to talk about that film, and I want to talk about interpretation, and I, I want to understand. I want to know what you meant, and what you're trying to convey. Um, but tell us the story of that of that seven minute short video and how that came to be, because it was fascinating. And and, and anybody uh, listening, I uh, Tyler, you'll you'll tell us about it and tell tell our audience where they could. Check it out. Sure, man. You guys are digging deep on the on the research. I, I appreciate that. I haven't heard of that short in a while. Um, so as a creative, I'm also a total technical gear geek as well. I, I love cameras. I love the latest in technologies. I love I love all the toys. Um, and that's really important coming from the video production world because technology changes so fast um, there. So the girl actually was much more of a camera test than, than anything. When Sony released its camera, the A7S, it was the first of its kind in terms of having a low light sensor. All of a sudden, you could shoot under, under the moonlight. And so when I got that, um, you know, coming from a heavy you know, cinematic background, um, and I've always been a big um, user and fan of Red Digital Cinema products, and I, and I still am. We still use them here at Dragonfly, but I wanted to kind of push the Sony to the limits and see, does it do everything it, it says it can do? And yeah, so of can course- you detour? I don't mean to interrupt. Tell us, tell us why, tell us why we need these technological improvements for low light shooting. Why is low light shooting so difficult or historically difficult? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's always been a challenge around the the video world. You know, as we transitioned from film you know, which needed a lot of light in itself, depending on what stock you were using, and you move to digital sensors, you fought camera noise or, um, you know, visual noise, um, you know, quite, quite a bit. So and you're also going from film sets that, you know, had really big budgets to all of a sudden going to influencers and video creators who don't have the budgets for a ton of lighting. So by giving them a product that can do low light, it's not just about seeing in moonlight. It's like for documentary production, being able to rely on, um, you know, just ambient natural natural lighting opens up a ton of doors, but also gives a lot more flexibility to to people, you know, jumping jumping into that. With everything, it's just another tool, right? You can't totally rely on it, but you got to know what's capable, what's possible, and what's what's not. Gotcha. Okay, so back to <laughs> the girl. Oh yeah, so I mean, we so we really that story more than anything, it wasn't built to be like. A great story. It was more like, hey, let's push this camera to the limits. You know, let's not really use, you know, any or very little of our lighting and let's see what we can get away with. You know, so we owe, I, I come from, I love 
practical effects films. I love science fiction films. I grew up on, you know, James Cameron and the Terminator movies. And so we tried to just pull things, you know, from some of those films that I really enjoyed. So there's a scene where, you know, this girl comes out of a flash of light and she's in a ring of fire sitting in a Terminator pose. It's very much, you know, not meant to just be a knockoff, but we wanted to do something fun while testing the camera. But there, there's certainly a narrative. It's, it's a story. It was, it, I mean, it was very tense. It was dramatic. It was scary. Um, so did that, was that a story that you had written or you had, at, or you had wanted to film at some point and you thought, thought that there was an opportunity? I think it was more an opportunity to spread my wings with it. You know, running my company, we did a lot of corporate work. We did a lot of documentaries. So I, but my passion was always on the narrative side. So I always have a million story ideas running through my head. I can't, you know, travel without looking out and being like, you know, you're by the ocean. Ooh, what if, a, you know, there's an interesting, you know, mermaid as a monster story or, you know, you're in the middle of the desert. What about, you know, a desert monster? And not all my stories are monsters, but. Uh, you know, you're always thinking of these different things. You're always thinking of different narratives, different, you see different relationships and it'd be interesting to kind of tell that I like stories that make people feel. So even though this was just a camera test, yeah, anything I create, I always want to put some story, some tension, not just make it a waste, not just shoot, you know, film somebody just to film somebody, but take opportunity to have, have fun with that. That's really interesting to me because, well, when I own a red, but I'm currently filming this on an A7S III. Oh, so, see, I I, I'm filming on a red. Maybe I made a good, <laughs> maybe I made a good choice. Okay, so, um, but uh, you know, it's interesting. Last week I got an interview, um, billionaire named Paulo Termani that started Boxable. I don't know if you've seen any of their social media, like those houses that are fold, right? Yeah, I have, I have. And I was saying, like, how did you guys have the the biggest equity crowdfunding in the history of equity crowdfunding? I think they raised like 160 million dollars from like 45,000 people. <laughs> and I was like, how'd you do that? And he's like, hey, we've got a great product, check, right? But he's like, we knew how to tell stories that people wanted to watch. We knew how to like put stuff on screen that people wanted to share with somebody else. He's like, it sounds really simple. Like that was like so much of his core story. So it's interesting where I feel like in startup world and Isaac Patrick way in here, like we get told all the time, make a better product, make a better product. And, and we do, we need to have something that's better. Like you having... A non-flammable battery literally has no liquid in it. Like that's objectively better. It's not just new and improved sticker on something, right? Mm -hmm. But I think it says something about your organization that better wasn't enough. They, they, they took better and they added to the fact we have to get humans to want it. And humans love stories. Humans love something beautiful. Humans love something magnetic with a little tension, a little drama. Um, so I'm interested. There's obviously a reason that you chose Dragonfly. Um, what what was it that made you think like, hey, I'm not going to get a boring desk job here. I actually want to do this in addition to the probably going to pay me. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was fortunate. Well, one, I, I love all the stories you you told there and the, the lessons gleamed from that because I think there's there's a lot and we deal with those, those every day, especially as a brand trying to get people to watch content about a product. That doesn't just happen. So you do need to cut through that. So I really, really like what he what he said about that. Um, but in terms of this opportunity, I was lucky because I got to work with the brand, with the company, with the leadership team for six or seven years as they grew. So I knew their ideals. And honestly, I knew their trust in, in me 
and their um, that they were okay with having this more content driven company that I could come into a very corporate titled job with a company that has very lofty goals and you know big pressures on us as an executive team. But at the same time, I could still create, I could still film, I can still photograph. So even though I'm the chief marketing officer, I still travel to video shoots all the all the time. Um, they, you know, when they acquired the company, they, you know, I'm sitting in my old film studio that's now theirs. You know, we have three red cameras for the company now. Um, I just don't pay the insurance on them anymore. Um, but I still get to travel around to all these different places and I still get to create. Now, it's a much smaller piece of my job now. Um, but a company that that believes in, in that type of marketing and and trust me to kind of build this while being a part of something so, so much bigger. That's that's what really attracted it to me. And it goes back to that, like, good enough uh, comment that you were talking about. And it goes back to what I was saying with cutting through the noise, too, is our leadership team. And it really starts with our CEO is we never want to just do something that somebody else is doing just to have it. So a good example is smart batteries. You know, our batteries today, you know, they, they power things up and some people are coming out with Bluetooth enabled versions of those where you can pull up your phone, see your state of charge, call it good. We wanted to come out with our own smart battery, but we didn't want to just do it the same as everybody else. So we've created this insane, complete wireless mesh network that has redundancies. It has full communication from from anywhere. You can see your entire battery bank or you can see an individual one. We can now get remote text, can remote into your system and see what's going wrong for easier troubleshooting. Um, and it just expands a ton of possibilities. And it's just it's just an example of just being like, oh, yeah, we could have just put Bluetooth in there and it would have been out, you know, a year or two ago. Um, but that's not good enough for us. Just like with our next technologies, we'll never put out a product that just does something the same. It's not, you know, and that can be detrimental sometimes, too, because it does take longer, right, when you're not just importing product. Um but it's the it's the values and mission of the company. And I'm I'm fortunate to be a part of a team that's stuck to their guns on that. Yeah. Well, I'd I'd love to dig into some of the more of the marketing stuff. Cause like I probably have a, you know, a predilection more towards the content production. Right? Like, hey, if you make a good enough video, that's all you need to do. Where I feel like I learned from Isaac and Patrick. I'm reading Patrick's book right now. I'm like the whole SEO, Google AdWords, digital marketing, like that whole world is is not as much of my background. And it's like you can't just make the good content. People have to see it. And you can't just like make a better product. People have to find out yours is better and that you didn't just claim it. So, so um, I know we're kind of winding down for have time for a couple more questions after mine here. Maybe we'll each take one more. Um, but I, I guess my last question here is, as you now have like the whole scope, not just making a, not just making a gripping video that will get somebody's interest and get them to watch through to the end, you now have to get the clicks and all, all these kind of things. How, what's your mental framework that, that you approach that kind of digital marketing? It's much more research and data than I ever thought I'd deal with before. Um, especially it's available now. So when we are going in to do a project or we are looking at our SEO rankings or even, you know, things we're targeting with our, you know, PPC efforts, um, we have to be so much more strategic about it because you don't want to waste budget. You want your budgets to go, even if you have a big budget or you have a small budget, you want it to go as far as possible for those dollars and to the right people. And we're in a world now where you can do that. You know, you can actually target like down to an insane level, right? Not just geofencing, um, but retargeting of people that saw saw one ad. But I can now make, because we do a lot of different industries with our product, we're a battery, it's used for a lot of different things. Um, 
if I want to target sailboat owners, I can, I can do that. If I want to target yacht owners that, you know, have over, you know, $5 million and often frequent in this area or have recently, you know, went to a, a boatyard, I can do that. It's just finding out who your audience is and then how can we utilize that data and combine that with the message side of it to target that person. And then it becomes a time thing, right? Because all of a sudden now we're talking about a lot of different, different efforts and, um, you know, there's only so much time in a day to, to get it all done. So it's kind of prioritizing those and always kind of looking at, you know, what's working, what's not working. If it's not working, why isn't it working and, and following those trends. And that's something I never really had to do before, you know, in, in my work, I always had a client where I would go back and forth and, you know, you always try to make it as successful as possible. And if it was, you get, you get hired again. So it was always important, but now with these tools, it's really interesting. And a much bigger challenge, but you just have so many things at your fingertips now too. So it makes it kind of, it makes it kind of fun as well. I wanted to ask, push a little bit on that thread or pull on that thread. We have targeting capabilities, which like if you, if you expand out of a horizon of 50 years, it's a, it's a crazy, it's, it's a it's madness. I could target yacht owners and I could tell a story about yacht owners, right? And how these batteries address um, your specific struggles. At the same time, we found that there are a lot of things you could easily become too neurotic and distracted by how much technology there is. So it's like, oh, we could target male yacht owners and female yacht owners and a 30-year-old female yacht owner and a 40-year-old. And now we have like 600 ad variants. And for the men, we have only men. And for the women, we have only women. And now we're going to pay an extra 30 cent CPM if I see that they also own a Nissan. <laughs> and it's like, look, and then we're going to spend, you know, a month testing button colors. And it's like, look, none of this matters, but there's a balance, right? Because, and I want to know what you think about this or what you found. To a certain extent, talking to somebody and addressing typical issues that they face as a yacht owner versus an RV, a couple that's sort of going off the grid and, and living in an RV, right? That's different lifestyle, different story, different people, different psychographics. But to what extent have you found it important and useful to tailor a message um, to an audience and tell a narrative that connects right emotionally with that person or with that audience versus being distracted by too many gears, le levers, and knobs that could be pulled really without much impact. I don't know if that question made any sense. It makes total sense. And I love the point you bring up because it's like with anything, it's easy to overdo it and get caught up in the, in the tool and forget about the, the results. And it goes back to, it goes back to time management and it goes back to, I think kind of overall vision of what you're trying to to do too and not look to you know break what's working or what's not but you're right you start to get too granular and your message gets muddy right and you're not re reading enough people so we're fortunate in our marketing efforts that we have a lot of interactions with the consumer we're rare that a much higher percentage of our sales come from phone orders than they do website orders because electricity is complicated. Electrical systems are complicated. We talk to the consumer all the time. You know, we go to over 40 trade shows a year and we're boots on the ground talking to them. And as you go through that, when you go to a trade show, it's actually a really good analogy to kind of answer your question. You go through a trade show, say there's a hundred thousand people that go there and you're, you know, you're talking to hundreds of thousands, um, a day that pass through your booth, you notice the patterns within that. And you can kind of see, Hey, there's all these little things but what's the overarching feel? And you can really hone it down to, it's really this, you know, like with RV owners, 
they've got really two two main questions. It's like, well, once they've decided to go lithium, you know, do I need to change out? What do I need to change out to go lithium? Do I need to change out anything? And then who can do this install for me? You know, so as you start to go through those patterns and you go to more shows and talk to more people, it, it gives you the ability to hone your message at the at the right at the right level, I guess. It's really interesting. It reminds me just briefly of a story. We had a client a number of years ago. Um, they were one of the largest resellers of portable oxygen concentrators in the country. So there are these uh, devices that you can wear over your shoulder for people with COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And they breathe, um, helps them breathe fr fresh air. Um, and they were spending a huge amount of money on performance media across social, Facebook, Instagram, Google, Microsoft. And we had a direct line of communication with the CMO and the CEO. And like their big thing was like price. We're the cheapest. That's You just need to push, push on price. We're going to give you a discount. We're going to have more favorable payment terms. That's what customers care about. So we're three to six months in. I'm sort of hitting a plateau. Um, and we say, look, this is, and it's, it was the same thing. Most 95 plus percent of orders came through a call center in Denver. So we said, look, let us fly out to Denver. We want to spend a day. Let's just spend a day with the call center staff, um, which we did. And 100% of the call center staff said the number two most important priorities to a customer were battery um, capacity and weight of the unit. And not a single representative mentioned price. <laughs> and based on that sort of qualitative feedback, which, which you're promoting, we changed, it was very simple. Like none of this was rocket science. We changed, the we changed the headlines in our ad copy. We changed the messaging. We changed the landing page and conversion rate went up 25% in, in a matter of weeks. Um, and I think what you're saying really resonates with me is like, look, you think we have our own perspectives of what's important or what message wants to be heard, but spending time with the actual people and customers and just listening to what they say and, and what they ask and being open to receive a message that you're not, let's say maybe, inclined to think that that's what your customers wants, I think is what separates really great, brilliant marketers from, from everybody else. That's just my, that's one of the oldest, it's on one that. of the oldest rules of marketing, right? Or of, of just a business, listen to the customer, whether you're making a new product or figuring right. out how to, how to attract that, that in. But, you know, we've gone to such a digital world now, right? We're doing podcasts remotely from, you know, different points in the, the country. A lot of companies are, are, are fully, fully remote. They don't, they don't have that same interaction with uh, customers that they, they used to. And there's just something about being in the same room as somebody, actually sitting down with them, you know, looking your customers in the eye. You just, it's invaluable. It's unmeasurable how, how much you can gain from that. And then it's important to then figure out what, what you want to do with that information. Like, you know, you guys had a very, you know, good strategy. It's like, okay, we figured out these new messaging points we hadn't, you know, used before. How do we implement those? Okay, let's look to the landing page. Let's look to where we're doing that. Because it's, you know, you can't just figure out the problem. It's strategy and tactics, right? Yeah. I think um, you, your journey to this position has been a little non-traditional. And the mission and the vision of Dragonfly Energy is amazing. And you seem incredibly passionate about that. But it, it almost seems as if that's kind of secondary to the fact that this has been an opportunity for you to, like, do all these things that you love. Oh, and also I really believe in this company and what they're doing and the products. And and you you didn't get there by like the traditional sense of like, I don't know, 
whatever the linear path to the traditional CMO of a, of a renewable energy company is, like you kind of hustled uh, a, a business in the creative space and storytelling and made video content for a lot of different, a lot of different things that had nothing to do with energy. And then one day, all of a sudden you turn around, you're in this completely new role. So there's a lot of like smaller themes here that you've touched on. It's just like do good work for a long time and like, don't be satisfied with satisfactory work. But then I think that there's also something else to be said about this fact that your career path has sort of zagged a little bit. So like, what advice do you give to, you know, somebody earlier in their career that says like, hey, listen, being the CMO of a renewable energy company looks like my ideal scenario, right? Like I, I, I'm passionate about XYZ thing. I think this checks all the boxes. What sort of advice do you give to somebody that aspires to have something, some sort of similar path or, or, or get to the same place that you're in? Yeah, I think the underlying message to all that and to my entire life, and I think my biggest piece of advice would be love what you do. If you want to be successful in your job, you need to be passionate about it. You need to enjoy doing it and that sometimes it doesn't look exactly what you you think it does you know i never thought you know my passion would be you know working in the clean clean energy industry but you know i found an opportunity that that wasn't i wouldn't have taken it if i wasn't passionate towards it if i didn't think this is something i'm really going to enjoy doing you know it doesn't matter your financial position if you want to get somewhere you need to believe it because people can read through the bullshit nowadays you know, they can tell if you're faking it. You don't want to just be the salesman saying, hey, this is the best thing ever. It's like, believe in that and you'll you'll go far. And, you know, you you repeated that I, I'd said it. You know, I'm big on work hard. You know, it's it, times have changed. And that attitude is is going away. You know, we see it a lot in the workforce now is, you know, that really great work ethic is a lot more rare. So cut through the competition with, working harder than everybody else and staying humble through the process. You know, everybody wants that instant gratification nowadays. You know, they want to be the boss after working somewhere for six months. It takes time, you know, and, and, and learn from every opportunity, learn from, learn from every, every mistake, every success. That's, that's what I did. You know, when we talk about me, you know, not having, you know, a degree in this, I was learning for the last 15 plus years. So even though I wasn't in school, I was always watching, you know, on a film set, anybody that's been in the film world, you hustle, you go, go, go. And then you sit around for two hours, you know, while that the director goes through scenes with the actors. When you're that low level crew member, I would sit there and I'd watch, you know, hey, what is the lighting guy doing? What's he looking at? What's the director doing? What are the actors doing between takes? Um, and that goes to, I think, every industry, you know, as you're working your way up, see what people do that you think you can take or you think maybe that's not something you should do, but there's, there's less, there's lessons everywhere. And then just back it up with good work ethic and, and treat people right. And you'll, you'll get there. That is such good advice. Um, I, uh, this has been so fun. I'm so glad we all got together. Cause I feel like we've come, we got kind of like similar backgrounds, but just enough difference that it makes the conversation interesting. Yeah. So Tyler, thanks again for doing this. Uh, I'm really into outdoor sports and snowmobiling and dirt biking and like, I probably need some Battleborn batteries. Where do I go? Where do I go to buy these things? Absolutely. So if you're interested in our products today, go to battlebornbatteries.com. And if you want to learn more about our, our bigger mission and our non-flammable batteries, go to our company website, which is dragonflyenergy.com. 
And we also, our CEO, Dennis Ferris, who I've mentioned before, he hosts a podcast of his own called the Limitless Energy Podcast. And you can find that on the Dragonfly Energy uh, website. And he goes into a lot of interesting stories around the clean energy uh, side of things. That's exciting. Okay. Thanks, everybody, for listening.